Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. And I'm Adam. And this is episode number 69 for the week of January the 11th, 2019. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You nailed it. I, I'm still writing 2018 on checks and anything <laughs> else I have to write. Yeah, it's 2019, my friend, and our first episode of 2019. And this also marks our third year as a podcast. Can you believe it? <laughs> We've made it. Uh, we had somebody at one of the conventions say, you just got to make it past 20 episodes. I forget what level he said, but we're <laughs> we're well past that now. Yes, we are. We are, man, we are into episode 70. Yeah, almost there. I, I tell you that, you know, we'll do our top 10 today and then we'll be 30 away from 100. <laughs> we're going to hit 100 this year. We'll throw a big gala celebration. I, I, I think that would be awesome. But anyway, my friend. What's been happening? Did you have a good New Year's Eve? I did. I did. I, I just stayed locally. I don't usually go out, skip the drivers, you know, coming at you drunk. Uh, I hear you there, my friend. But it was good. I watched the movies, and we may be talking about some of them because we are doing our top 10 yes. in this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes that we do every year, our top 10 of the year. And inevitably, we'll have, if I know, we'll have four or five that may cross over but usually it's a pretty different list, you know, because our, you know, but we'll see this year. I'm excited. I don't know. I know your top one, but I yeah. don't know all your other ones yet. So I've written it down and I'm not even going to look at it because I may change it again. That's the problem with this <laughs> list is my bottom five is really fluid. My top 20 was really hard to stuff down into just 10. Right. And every time I've touched my list over the last week, I've made changes. I, I've been the same way, Adam. You know, for if if anybody who says that this has been a bad movie year has just not been to the theater very often, you know, um, because for, at least for me, this has been a stellar year of film. And uh, I've just loved, just loved some of the movies. I mean, uh, my top 10, the top probably three are real solid as far as they're not going to move. I may switch those three around, which I think is the favorite. But from four on, five on definitely, from five to 15, Five to almost twenty, those films are all the same to me. I mean, yeah. I mean, literally, you know, the difference between number ten and number twenty, there is no difference. It's just okay if I have to list them as a top ten, I'm going to put this one just a little bit above it. But I like them both. Just you know, I I could have done a top twenty no problem this year. You know. And for those tuning in for the first time for our top ten list, these are the films that Roger and I are think are the best. This isn't our favorite movies, although a lot of them will be. Right. We're trying to judge it using our own obvious personal bias and taste yeah. and say that for our list, we think this is the 10 best movies out of 2018. No, I, Yeah, I think that's very, very important to say because as I look at this, you know, if I was just to, like if I did it, if I did a list that said what was the best action movie, the best comedy, the best documentary, the best animated, that would be a completely different top 10 list. But these are the films that critically that I went to the theater that I saw um, that I said was, th these are the 10 best films, the 10 best crafted films that I saw in um, 2018 may not have been my favorite films. Um, mm -hmm. But I will say my top three are in are, are at my favorites, you know. But yeah. but but definitely when it comes the, the lower part of the list, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even up to about 20 were films that I just thought, man, these are great movies, you know. So we're going to start from the bottom. We're going yep. to start at number 10. So we're going to work our way up to the number ones. And then afterwards, we'll do a couple of our 
or honorable mentions, near misses, however you want to categorize those. Sounds great. Let's take a quick break and come back. You're listening to the Film Coterie podcast. And when we come back, films 10 through 6. Okay, and we're back, and uh, Adam, I think we should just jump right in. Number 10. Number 10 on my list for 2018 is a movie that um, I knew was in the theater. It played earlier in the year. Um, It's one that I think you had maybe recommended to me. I I didn't see this film with you, but you said, oh my, is there a shock about two-thirds of the way through this film? (laughs) All right. And so uh, you already know what it is, don't you? I do. And so um, my film is Sorry to Bother You, number 10, by directed by Boots Riley and uh, Tessa Thompson, who having a pretty good couple years. She's starting to show oh, yeah. up on a lot of movies now. Uh, she, she's one of the stars in this. And Sorry to Bother You is the story of a uh, African-American um, guy looking for work in Oakland, California. Uh, let me just say it's... It's not. It's not. It's an alternate Oakland, California. <laughs> well, here's how I've warned people. I, I like the movie. Yeah. Um, if you were to look it up on iTunes or somewhere else, its genre is comedy, comma science fiction, and from the trailer, you may wonder where the science fiction comes in, and it, it makes itself appear during the movie. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And so, I really like Sorry to Bother You. I thought it struck all the right notes for me comedically. Um, there is a shocking scene about two-thirds of the way through that literally my jaw dropped. And I was like, OMG, okay, here we go. Yeah, it goes for it. <clears throat> and it pulls it off. I, th- I think it works for me. And so good laughs, good fun, um, pretty wry social commentary as well, too. Because the rub is the African-American guy gets a job at a telemarketing firm, and he has no success until he switches to his white voice. And when he does, he becomes quickly becomes salesman of the month, salesman of the quarter, and then he gets promoted to the second floor. And let me just say, when that happens, all craziness breaks loose. So sorry to bother me. Sorry to bother you is my number ten film of 2018. Adam, I'll turn the possession to you. All right, my number ten film is one that I was very excited to see, and I thought it delivered, and that is Mandy. That is the wild nightmarish psychedelic adventure with Nicolas Cage directed by Panos Cosmatos. And this is a movie I, you know, the the trailer sold me. I liked a lot of the buzz from the festivals, but I'm kind of cold on beyond the black rainbow. I like two thirds of that movie. So I saw Mandy in the best possible experience. We were in a theater packed of Nicolas Cage lovers. Everyone was into it. And it's such a wild ride. It was everything I wanted it to be because it, it's just this pure genre of film that's nuts. I love how they go for it. I think most of it lands. And I enjoyed it from start to finish. And I've, I watched it at home a couple times. I, I throw it on. I really like this film. And I'm, I'm glad to see Nicolas Cage do something like this. So, yep, my number 10, Mandy. Well, you know, Adam, I have to agree with you. It it did not. It's one of those films that will be on my honorable mention. Um and I think the only reason it didn't make the top 10 is because I didn't see it in a packed theater with a bunch of Nicolas Cage fans. I think I, that would have pushed it over the edge for me. I actually, you raved about it so much that I went the next day to like a 1030 a.m. showing yeah. and saw it with four people. 
And I remember just laughing and, and, and thoroughly enjoying the film and thinking, wow, this is pretty great, you know. Um, and it is. It's, it is science fiction fantasy. It's, it's craziness. It's Nick Cage going all out Nick Cage. Fun thrill ride. It's going to be a cult classic. Definitely. Um, you know, I, I, I can't go on and on anymore I, as well. Mandy's a great film, but it's I think it's a real niche film as well. Yes, too. no, it is absolutely it's, not for everybody. It's not a general audience film. So if you if you haven't seen any the last couple, three Nick Cage films, if you're not just a big fan of him, you're probably not going to be into Mandy. No, but I mean, if you wanted something Jodorowsky-esque, Midnight Revenge tale that's super psychedelic, I mean, Mandy just... It nails the note that it was going for. Okay. Well, Adam, give me, give us your number nine then. Uh, my number nine is Blind Spotting. Now, I, I don't know if you had the chance to see this one. Uh, it's one I missed. Yeah. Okay. Blind Spotting. Uh, it just really took me. I, I the trailer was a little strange. I didn't know what it would be like, but it's just such a good tale of a guy trying to get on the straight path, and it's got a lot of funny moments. It has a friendship you buy, um, and it has a pretty great ending. And, you know, Blind Spotting was another Oakland movie, um, along with Sorry to Bother You. And I'm really excited for the cinema that's coming out of that particular neighborhood. You know, um, it's just one I missed. And regrettably, I wish I would have seen it. So, but uh, that's, and it's getting some buzz. I actually have heard some other critics have mentioned it as their, as in their top 10 as well, too. So, yeah. uh, my number nine is a brand new, it jumped right on the list. It was one of the last movies I saw in 2018. And it's Green Book. And I almost did not see this film. And, Adam, you were like, I think you'd really like this film, you know. And so you kind of talked me into making time for it. To me, it, it felt a little bit like a Roger film. And that's not – it just – it's a good buddy movie. And I, I, yep. I knew that's what you would like about it. Well, I, I like it because I love the – you know, it's directed by uh, Peter Farrelly. Fairly. Yeah, Fairly. But it's got um, Viggo Mortensen. And Maharshala Ali, I think I said that right. I love him. I'm falling in love with that guy. He is great. And it's got music galore. It's got a lot of classical music, jazz music. Uh, Ali plays Don Shirley, a virtuoso jazz and classical pianist based on a true story. Um, and he gets connected to uh, um, a, a, you know, Tony the Lip, which is a you know, he worked the, the the bars in New York City and was kind of like a tough guy, you know. And this, he ends up taking him in the Deep South in the early 60s um, when times were really crazy. And um, it's a good buddy, fun movie, guys from completely different cultures and sides of the, you know, out worldviews, everything thrown together in this car for eight weeks and... Um, you know, th there's been a little bit of backlash on this film in the last couple of weeks from uh, Don Shirley's family that say mm -hmm. it doesn't accurately portray him because it was written by Tony the Lips' son, right? Who was part of one of the writers on this film, but ultimately, even you know, both of these guys are, are, are have passed away now, so we don't have firsthand knowledge of what goes on, but they did remain friends the rest of their lives, and so much of what you're going to see. You know, it does say inspired by this story, so it doesn't mean that they're going to take it literally everything that happened that way. But I loved Green Book. Um, why is it called Green Book? Because when you traveled in the South in the 60s, there was a Green Book that you could get that told you if you were African-American where you should, what restaurants you should eat at and what hotels you could stay at and be safe. 
And so interesting title for, I think, an interesting buddy cop, buddy, not buddy cop, but a buddy adventure. So Green Book is my number nine. I think it's my turn. Number eight. Number eight is, this is my guilty pleasure movie. Uh, It's an action movie, and it's Mission Impossible Fallout, the number sixth film in the Mission Impossible series with Tom Cruise. Um, I just love, these are bombastic, crazy, over-the-top action, thrill rides, fun rides. And I got to be honest, when I looked at the top 10 films, when it comes to action films, this is, I think, the cream of the crop in the genre. I can't think of an action film that's better than Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie comes back, and he directed Rogue Nation. And so these movies, kind of like fine wine or good tobacco, just seem to get better with age for me. And so, you know, when you've got a cast of Cruz and Henry 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 Cavill, who played Superman, is the he is amazing in this movie. Action, he's finally in a good oh, movie. He's he's great. Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg. I mean, the whole cast of characters are back and. I loved Mission Impossible Fallout. It's my number eight film of 2018. What I say about Mission Impossible, it was by far the best action movie of the year and maybe the past couple years. So, I mean, it's for nailing the genre. I mean, it, you're right. It's it's top yeah. for what it set out to do. And, you know, I, I didn't want to make a top ten list that was all the different categories and all the. Yeah. I wanted to do the ten best films, but I just could not leave out Mission Impossible. The more I moved my list around, I thought... This movie is so good. It's so fun. It's 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 why the general audience goes to the theater, you know. And I th- I just had to put it on my top ten, so it landed at number eight. How about you, Adam? All right, my number eight is "You Were Never Really Here." So this movie stuck with me from Lynn Ramsey, who gave us uh, "We Need to Talk About Kevin." Yep. What I particularly love about this movie and why I think it's so great, I think it's almost a masterwork for what it set out to do is that it is not at all the story you're going to expect. It takes such a unique approach. It's unlike anything else I've ever seen. And Joaquin Phoenix is great in this. He is great. It's a hitman, a little girl story, and you think it may be like the professional, but it's not. It has all these human elements, and it's just the story, the way it unfolds, the way Lynn's telling it, it's just so unique and, and unlike anything else I'd ever seen. And, you know, skipping out on the violence but showing the, the trauma. We saw the trauma the character suffered later, but we didn't see the violence. And just the ending, and I mean, it just really stuck with me. And this is one I, I did watch again to see where on my list it would be. I kind of flagged it early in the year. I think that's a great film. So, yeah, you were never really yeah. here. You know, th- I agree with everything you said. I thoroughly enjoyed the film. It was a great theater experience. It was not what I was expecting. Um, I thought the use of implied violence off the screen was so effective and the use of sound off, you know, you'd see him go to do a violent act and they could have copped out and just showed it to you, but it was often just right off the screen. I thought that was excellent. Um, and it was in my top 10 for most of the year. And then when I got down to this last week of bouncing films around, it ended up somewhere in the teens. I'll know when we do our recap, I'll, you know, I'll probably mention it. And if we were going to do top scenes of the year, I mean, it would certainly be in here for me, just the scene with him and the other killer in the kitchen. I think that was one of the very best scenes out of the entire year, out of any film. It was a very good scene, but it would absolutely not be my top, because I've got my number one scene of the year. Well, maybe we'll talk about that in our recap segment. Absolutely. Okay, is it to me? Oh, back to me for number... Number seven? Seven. Number seven. 
Oh, this one's a downer, but I loved it. Annihilation. Oh, yeah. This is sci-fi horror, you know, kind of a survival horror element. And Natalie Portman and a team of women go into an unknown zone where there's been an alien interference. And things are changing. And they're changing on a truly horrific level, a level of this mutation that we've never really seen explored in a movie. This, yep. this was terrifying to me, this type of mutation that could just happen where your, your body is changing into something else. And there's so many just nightmare scenarios that are so well handled throughout the film, whether it's the bear with the human face and the screams, the flowers that are growing as people, and just the whole you know end sequence with Natalie Portman coming face-to-face with Oscar Isaac's character. So I love Annihilation, and I, I think it deserves to be on a lot more top ten lists. I'm seeing it on some. I just didn't know because it came out in February, uh, That's what which I was, is a lifetime yeah. ago for a lot of people. That's what I was going to say. I think it's getting forgotten because I was in Florida— and I saw it one night, just went down to the theater and saw it and loved it. And it was barely released in theaters here. It was out just for a little bit and then right onto the streaming services. Yeah. So it did not make my top 10, but I think it's a great choice. I can't argue the choice whatsoever. So uh, my number seven, it really surprised me. Uh, it's a late a movie I saw late in December. And I went into the theater not expecting to like it. And it's... Um, going to battle for one of the best animated films of the year for me, and that's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Holy cow, I loved this movie. This animated uh, feature, looking at all the multiple Spider-Mans, visually some of the best stuff I've ever seen on screen. I mean, just... This is a movie that I thought about for a couple days afterwards, all the visuals. Um... The only reason maybe it may not be right near the top is that it just got so overwhelming at the end. I just was in overload mode at that point, but still was great, but I just couldn't take it all in. I, you know, um, but I loved Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I loved uh, the switch over, the, the, the different Peter Parkers, you know, uh, the, 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 the old Spider-Mans, the young Spider-Mans, the noir Spider-Mans, the futuristic um, robot Spider-Girl. I mean, I just loved all these. I'm not into all the comic book stuff. I know people who are into the comics even rave about this movie more than I do. And this is just a fun ride, visually beautiful. The music is just some of the best soundtrack in a movie all year that I've seen. And so Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was my number seven. No disagreements for me there. Uh, We are on to number six. Okay. What is your number six? My number six is a Netflix film that was, if it was released in the theaters, it was very short. I don't know if it was at all. And it's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Coen's film, the Coen Brothers film. And we covered this film maybe our last podcast or two ago, maybe here recently, love this anthology of films. I mean, just, you know, some of it has just a great cast. All six of the um, anthologies are Western-oriented. I love the Western genre to begin with. It starts off very lighthearted and funny, and then it explores deeper themes with each one, uh, more emotional themes. It, it explores spiritual themes. Um, you get a little bit of everything with these six some of them um, you just watch and shake your head and you're like, I'm going to have to ponder that a while. Uh, I thought it was visually beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, I just loved The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and it came in at number six on my my top ten. 
How about you, Adam? What what was your number six? My number six is a movie that even less people saw, I think, because it, it hit some festivals and then no distributor would touch it. It went to YouTube. YouTube, of all places. Wow. And that is Joseph Kahn's Bodied. Okay. Bodied is the most 2018 movie made in 2018. Okay. Joseph Kahn had taken some flack for making a Taylor Swift video. If you don't know the name, he's a... He's one of the most iconic working music video directors since the early 2000s. And he just had enough. He was tired of the PC culture. He was a tired, tired of the other culture attacking the PC. So he made a movie that is a literally going after everyone, including fandom. Uh, it's about a guy named Adam who is a white guy, and he's a fan of battle rap where you, you attack each other and you go way over the line, whether you're throwing out racist stuff or deeply personal stuff. And Adam analyzes it like a movie fan. He loves it. He just goes to see it. And then he has to go into the realm. He starts battle rapping against people. And he, he discovers what you do against a friend, how far you'd push for your art and everything else. But Joseph Kahn has made this hand grenade of a movie, just attacking everything that's bad with 2018. So not all of it is effective, but it's just so unique and so much fun that I wish it had a better release than just YouTube. But it is up there. I think you can rent it. Or if you have YouTube TV or YouTube Red, you can watch it now. Wow, that's great. And so that's going to wrap up our first set of five films for 2018. Um, why don't we take a just a quick break, and we'll come back and give you the final five, the top five of 2018. You're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. Okay, we're back, and we're to our top five. So here we go. These are the big guns. These are the ones that, for me, were a little more solid than the bottom of my list. I think these were fixed from... I haven't really tooled around with these too much. I'm comfortable with my top five. Yep, I am too, absolutely. Um, you're, a lot of heartfelt moments for me. I'm telling you, my heartstrings got pulled big time on this top five list. So why don't we jump right in and I'll start. Yes. What is your number five? My number five movie of 2018 was my number one movie for several months. I uh, went back and forth um, with the movie that will ultimately state as my number one film. It's a documentary and it's a heartfelt documentary for me. And it's the Mr. Rogers documentary. Won't you be my neighbor? Love this. It chronicles his 30-plus years of doing public rate, public TV, the Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And I did not realize, see, I grew up with Mr. Rogers. I was a kid of the 70s, and so I grew up with the classic Mr. Rogers neighborhood show. I remember the Saturday Night Live spoofs with Eddie Murphy and all, all that, you know, as I was a teenager in the 80s. And I had no clue that he really had the boundaries that he crossed, you know, everybody said, well, Mr. Rogers was, you know, he's a white Presbyterian minister that had a cute little show with puppets. And he really, he really crossed boundaries racially in the sixties with gender in the eighties. 
Um, I mean, just. But you wouldn't have picked up on those as a kid. But you would not. Yeah. But but they're there, like you know, there's a scene where the mailman comes and he's an African American, and he asked him to. There there literally had been a big thing where down in the South they were putting. Um, Bleach, these African-Americans were swimming in this hotel pool, famous news scene, and this guy's pouring bleach in there trying to get him out. I mean, just horrible conduct, racist conduct. That very next week, Mr. Rogers does an episode where he has a kiddie pool. He's sitting outside with his shoes off and his feet, cooling it during the hot summer. And the mailman comes up, who's African-American, and he invites him to cool his feet off and has him put it in his feet with him as a direct you know, communication that says it, we're all the same. They're, you know, trying. And so he does this subtly all throughout his show. And I just bawled like a baby during this show. I mean, the tears were flowing. I don't know if it's because I'm old and a dad now or what it is, but I just cried during this show. And it's to me, it, it sends the message of the power of kindness, just being kind to people, what barriers you can break down. So my number five coming, it was number one for a while. It got bumped off as I got further into the year is Won't You Be My Neighbor. All right. My number five is one that Roger did finally watch, and I think he'll know what it is. It just took him a little coercing, and that is Hereditary, the first feature from Ari Aster, who had done some amazing short work. This is a movie that, that took the world by storm from Sundance to, I think it was even South by Southwest. I saw it at Overlook. It's a horror movie. That if you haven't seen the trailers, and the trailers are pretty good by not giving anything away, you really don't know where it's going. It has lots of elements that make it an excellent second watch, but it has some iconic moments too for me. And there's a lot of scenes I can think of just right now that going into hereditary. Performances were great all around. Tony Collette's getting some love now for her role as the mother. And Ari Aster's shot his second movie. It's called Midsummer. It's coming out soon. And just from the strength of hereditary, which I think will be regarded very well in the years to come. When you're looking at the best horror from this decade. I think Hereditary is going to be at the top of the list, but I'm excited to see what Ari's got next. And Hereditary was a great theater experience for me. Well, I'm glad that you picked Hereditary because it, it was a little bit, at, at its initial release, kind of polarizing. Oh, it, it absolutely you is, know, yeah. Fans either loved it or hated it. Horror fans were divided on it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. The horror. We did a podcast where Bridget and I were on the opposite ends yeah. of the spectrum on it. And um, I think you're right. Um I watched it. I actually found myself laughing a lot. I, mm -hmm. I, I thought there was a lot more comedy in the beginning than I was expecting, you know. Um, yeah, so I, so I don't want I don't want to be negative on it. It kind of went off the rails for me at the end, sure. but that's what no, you liked. It, that's yeah, what you liked about it, you yeah, know. No. So it didn't make my top ten, but yeah, I, I I knew it would probably land on your list somewhere. So, okay. All right, we're to number four. I'll go first here. This was a title that's already been mentioned, and it is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse for me. This is our first cross. This is our first crossover. Spider-Verse was not only a great comic book movie. I think it's one of the best comic book movies of the modern era. Hands down, the best Spider-Man movie ever. Yeah, best Spider-Man. Hands but, down. And it was even. It's so masterful because it's even dealing with origin stories again, but in such a fresh way, and all these new characters, you don't feel like we're treading common ground. I don't even know what year we're in in this modern comic book era, but we're still getting surprised by new content or new ways of presentation. I thought Spider-Man was such a good, inclusive story and so well executed that this is the movie that Spider-Man fans have been waiting for for so long from the action to the characters. And honestly, sweatpants Peter Parker 
<laughs> might be my favorite comic book character yes in a long long time i love this version of peter parker because we've never seen anything like it and him and miles were the heart of the movie absolutely no i think it's a great choice uh it, it made my list as well i think would it come in at seven i think let me check my paper here yeah number seven for me it could have very easily been in the top five it's that good of a movie um i agree totally yeah a great choice Okay, my number, oh, my number four. I'm so excited to talk about this film. My number four, um, I watched, it, it was released in 2018 because I had to double check it two or three times to make sure it was because I thought, initially I thought it was 2017, but I've confirmed it was a U.S. release 2018, and it's The Writer. And this is a film that, have you seen this film? The Writer, like the, the, W-R? No, The Writer, like The Horse Rider. Oh, no. Oh my gosh, Adam, <laughs> this film is incredible. I, I just saw it about two weeks ago. I caught it on iTunes um, and it's amazing. It, it, it literally, it's Chloe Zhao is the uh, director. She directs it. And what this, this movie is about, it's set in South Dakota and it's about the Lakota tribe in modern day times, the Lakota tribes, uh, how they're the cowboy, the, the, the Bronco, the, the rodeo scene. And it follows this young kid that's probably 20, 19, 20, that had a promising career that the movie starts off with him having a traumatic head injury. And he has to recover from that. And it's, oh, my God, this movie, Adam, is so great. Um, the What blew me away about this movie was you see that the peril, this is so, none of these actors are actors. These are all people that this woman got it's almost shot like a documentary but it's a it's a movie it's mm -hmm. it's it's a fictional story and the thing that blows you away is at the end of the film when the credits roll you discover that the family the the dad the little girl who um was great she's in this the little girl that she's 15 and she's autistic and then it's her brother older brother who's 18 that has had this Brady that's had this traumatic brain injury and his recovery from that. And all this guy, all this kid know is, all he knows is horses, right? And he has to come to the realization he'll never ride again. He'll never, if he gets one more hit, it could kill him. And it's reinforced by his hero. He go his hero in the film Lane has had a, a, a Bronco bull riding injury and is paralyzed and is a shell of himself. I mean, he can't speak, has to sign, and he goes and visits. And this movie just hits all the right notes. It's beautifully shot, gorgeous film. Um, Brady in this film hardly ever raises his voice above a whisper, yet he draws you in. I've watched it three times. I almost put it as my number one film of the year. Um, it's just excellent. It's the writer... And it's by directed by uh, Chloe Zhao, um, and it stars Brady Jandro uh, and Tim Landro. And they use these; they literally use these real people. These are not professional actors. This she would go in, and this guy would work training horses during the day. And then when they had the magic hour of light, she would say, "Okay, now we're going to shoot," and they would shoot this film. And I'm telling you, it is an incredible film. There's a scene, one of the best scenes of the year, the second best scene I saw all year in the film, in, in movies all year. There's a scene where Brady gets on the horse for the first time after his accident, 
after he's kind of broken this horse and he goes to take it for a ride and he's out of sync with the horse, sun setting in the background, incredible shot. And he fall when he falls into sync with that horse, it takes your, your, your heart just melts right there. Um, great family story, honest story. And you never see this kind of story. You usually see cowboys and Indians in the Western, in a Western genre. This is Indian, Indian cowboys. This is Native Americans who are also cowboys, real cowboys. It's very honest, very real. I know I've talked way too long about it, but my number, it, it was my number one for about three days. And then I came off that and I was like, okay. <laughs> I, I just got to come off this, but it's called The Rider. Highly well, recommend it. You got me. I'm legitimately surprised because you yeah. haven't mentioned the movie to me until this moment. No, I, it's, so it, I'll it's, look into it. It is absolutely a fantastic movie. I thought I was off my rocker. I thought, and then I looked around. Several critics have it as their their, okay. their top three, and then I then I felt okay. I was like, okay, maybe I'm not crazy. So that's my number four. Well, what's your number three? Okay, my number three is also. One of the most beautiful films I've seen all year. It's a Netflix release. It is Roma by the brilliant genius Alfonso Cuaron. Roma is incredible. It's a semi-autobiographical story of the early 70s. Um, it stars uh, Yalitza Aprecio, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> she plays Cleo, the maid or the house servant. And it follows her story in Mexico in 1971 during political upheaval and uprising. And it's just an incredible movie. I mean, I'll just say this real quickly because I wasted a lot of time on the writer, but that was such a great movie too. The beach scene in Roma is one of the most mesmerizing, heartfelt moments that I've had all year in films. It's just, it's gorgeously shot. Uh, it's coming back to the gateway here in 70 millimeter, and I cannot wait to see it in 70 millimeter. Highly recommend Roma. We're on the same page. My number three is also Roma. Now, are you serious? I'm dead serious. That's awesome. Uh, it's the most epic, intimate story I think I've ever seen shot because it's really just about this family. But Alfonso mixes in these just wide shots of the political chaos. Um, when Cleo goes out to find the father, there's all these guys practicing martial arts in a more remote area. Huge ensemble cast there. And it has this rhythm to it that it just, the camera has lots of slow pans. It, the movie opens with just being a floor being washed and you're just kind of watching the reflection. You see kind of a plane coming overhead, but it's a really long opening sequence where the credits are coming I, and it's slowing you down. I think it's drawing you into this movie because yes. it has this, has this rhythm to it. And I was just completely absorbed by this film. I, I was, I was as well. I heard one critic describe it as dog crap, dog crap, dog crap, beauty, beauty, dog crap, beauty, beauty. Because <laughs> there's this, there's this dog that's inside this villa that's just continually craps on the floor, yep. you know. But that's the way it was. I mean, you know, and it's a beautiful film. Uh, I highly recommend Roma. Um, I just. It just solidifies to me that Alfonso Cuaron is a genius. I love what he does. I cannot wait for his next project. Well, he goes from gravity to this. So gravity does all kinds of high-tech, state-of-the-art camera rigs and lighting. And they actually use some of it. There's a really cool behind-the-scenes on the theater scene. Um, they had to light that. They're in a movie theater. It had nice. some crazy lighting and all the yeah. tricks they had to do. But then the camera work on the beach scene. 
where they had to build an entire jetty just to bring the camera from the shore out to the water back to the shore again. And the timing and the, the blocking that all the actors had to do. Again, if we're talking top scenes of the year, beach scene may be the top. It, that, that's my that's my number one scene of the year is the beach scene. And that scene particularly, I've never experienced a sway of the camera with the tide that is so subtle you don't really notice it, but you feel it. Alfonso was his own cinematographer on this movie for the first time, so... The dude is a genius. I, I cannot highly recommend Roma enough. Okay, Adam, let's toss it to you. Are we down to the top two? Top two. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. I think we're going to double up again. My number two is The Favorite. The newest from Yorgos Lanthimos, his most appealing probably to the mainstream audiences. This is a film that I was excited to go see, and I, I just thought it delivered. The three female leads, Rachel Weisz, Emma Stone, and... Olivia Coleman all do such a great performance here. It's fun, it's witty, it's cruel where it has to be, and it's just flat-out entertaining. I was in love with this film from the first frame to the end. I had such a good time with it. Yeah, it's my number two as well, no shocker. Uh, I think it's brilliant. Um, one of the best-shot films of the year, from my perspective, the use of natural lighting, the use of fisheye lenses, um, the subtle movement of the camera where it... It it's in it starts and then ends where the sub, the subject is off the screen and the camera's already moving to where the subject will end, um, and then there's one other trick that he does that I've never really experienced in a film. I know it's been done in other films, but not to this degree of excellence. Is the voice audio often played three scenes ahead? Don't like start a voice acting scene and you'll see two quick scenes before you end at the actual scene where the voice acting is, is, it's just phenomenal. I mean, it's literally brilliant art form here. I mean, and, and it doesn't, it doesn't throw you out. It's just because this film, the favorite is, is a series of experiences and experiences often overbleed into one another. And you get that with the favorite as well. So yeah, my number two film of 2018, um, Lanthimos, the next thing he makes, I will be there opening day in the theater to see it. And what's unique about this is that, as far as I know, I know he didn't write this one, but I think this is the first time he's directing material that he did not write. And that just shows to us that he can put his own stamp yes. uh, on material that's not his own. Well, and it's a very funny movie, and uh, it's a historical film that I think speaks to a postmodern world and has some in regards to relationships and how people engage with one another, um, how how don't ever judge the book by its cover. It may seem sour on the outside, but it may be fully good on the inside. It may seem fully good on the outside, yet be rotten on the inside. I mean, it's just this is a brilliant film um, and highly recommend the favorite. Absolutely. And I think we're to number one, aren't we? We're to the number one. Can we have a drum roll? <laughs> You're the sound guy. <laughs> okay. If anyone's going to put a drum roll in, it'd be you. Maybe we'll put a little drum roll in here. Anyway, my number one film of 2018, it has been my number one film for almost all of 2018. It is the Wes Anderson film, Isle of Dogs. I've seen this film at least four times this year. Once in the theater, three times at the house here. Um... What can I say? The best stop-motion action film you will ever see. Um, it's just incredible. 
it, it's it's silly yet it's serious. It's um. I made. Let me just. Let me, you know. First of all, it's Wes Anderson. Okay, so let's just get that out of the way. Then let me just tell. Let me just real quickly list who's in this film: Brian Cranston, okay, Edward Norton, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Murray, Greta Gerwig, Francis McDermott, Scarlett Johansson, Harvey Keitel, Tilda Swinton. Now, need I even say any more? I mean, that is as that is as high a level of acting as you're going to get for any film. Wes Anderson can snap his finger and put together a cast. This is a comedy. This film is funny. It's it's beautiful. It's precise. It's emotional. It's controlled. It's obsessed. It's intricate. All at the same time, this is going on. Again, the best stop motion the best stop motion film I have ever seen. It's political, very political in a subversive way, but yet right in your face. Um, the performances live up to the billing. It's just funny. It, it's it hit all the right notes for me. Uh, it has stuck with me all year. It, it's a note where he will compress things and control things and be so precise. And when you think oh, serious, and then a dog will vomit on cue as the punchline, and you just laugh, you know. Um, so my number one film of 2018 is Isle of Dogs. All right. Well, my number one is a no-brainer, if you know me. It is Suspiria. I absolutely lost my mind for it when I saw it at Fantastic (laughs) Fest. I've seen it in theaters three times, which is really rare for me. Twice is pushing it, but this is a movie. It's a remake, and I I think this is the the benchmark you hold other remakes up to because Luca took the movie, Suspiria, Dario Argento's version, and just dug it deep. He built out a world. He's telling a different story with these characters, and there's so much going on. If you like to dig into a meta-narrative of a film and, and some themes, there's like eight things going on in this film. Performances are great. Dakota Johnson had a great year for genre film. She's not going to get stuck into the gravity of the Fifty Shades movies because I think she nailed it in Suspiria, and she was great in um, in Bad Times at the El Royale. Those are genre movies that she's she's killing it in. Yeah, Absolutely. Tilda Swinton's amazing in this movie, playing multiple roles. And if you're just going to talk about best scenes for me personally, three of them might be in this movie alone for the year. I I didn't know what to expect going in, but this just changed the game for remakes as far as I'm concerned for what he was willing to do and, and the amount of time they put in. I mean, they worked on this movie for so long with the dance sequences. Everything means something. There's very little material in this movie that's throwaway. It rewards you so much on multiple repeat viewings, too, because you pick up stuff earlier. It doesn't lay out everything for you. There's a lot of room for interpretation and just a masterpiece. I haven't loved a movie this much since There Will Be Blood. Wow. Now, that is high praise. And I, too, um, I liked Suspiria very much. I made my top, I think, my top 20. Um, Yeah, it's a great choice. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. That are, That is our top 10 films of 2018. Why don't we take a quick break, come back, and we'll do some honorable mentions. We'll talk about the year um, past and some themes that we saw in the year. And um, maybe if, if time allows, we'll peek forward. I don't know. You want to peek forward, Adam, or not? We can see. We can see. All right, you're listening to The Film Cody. We'll be right back after a quick break.
All right, and we're back, and we're just going to take a few minutes now and talk about some of our honorable mentions for 2018. Adam, do you want to mention a couple films? I'll mention a couple, and we'll just kind of go back and forth if you want. Yeah, and we'll share this on Letterboxd after the episode goes up. So my top 25, the 15 that didn't make my list, I think are all really incredible, solid films. And a lot of them you heard from Roger. So in common, we had uh, Green Book, Mission Impossible, Fallout, Sorry to Bother You, Buster Scruggs. Um, What I didn't hear Roger mention yet, they didn't make his top 10. They might be in his honorable mentions. I absolutely loved The Endless Upgrade burning out of South Korea. Oh, upgrade. Man, that was good. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if I listed it. Anyway. Thoroughbreds, Leave No Trace, The Guilty, Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. That was the second great performance from Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Black Klansmen, and Widows. Okay. Um, ones you didn't mention that I had in my honorable mentions are Lean on Pete. Loved it. I loved Avengers and Black Panther. I think you mentioned it. A Quiet Place I thought was great. I almost put this next film, Game Night, on my top 10 just because I just love It's a good comedy that I, I've watched it like three times. The family's watched it, loved it. I loved Game Night. Um, you mentioned These Already, Annihilation, yep, Leave No Trace. I thought it was, okay, was good, but it didn't stick the landing. Or would, I thought it could have been really good. Um, Can You Ever Forgive Me was phenomenal. I loved it. Um, some other ones, Bad Times at the El Royale, I liked. Um, yeah, so those are kind of, and I had Suspiria and some of the same ones you did in your top 25. Overall, I thought it was a great year for, for filmmaking. If you go to Letterboxd, that's letter, B-O-X-D, B-O-X-D no E, Letterboxd, without the E, dot com. You can look up uh, Adam and I and find our list, our top, we'll, we'll post our top whatever, I think I had 27 or 25 films of 2018. All of them, I think, are worthy of a watch by you. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of cool. So anything else? What about the year as a whole, Adam? What do you, As you look back on 2018, what do you take away from, from the year as a whole in filmmaking? You know, so I didn't get the chance to do this as recently as I liked. It was a while ago. I was looking at my best of list from the last couple of years. I think the top 25 from this year is really strong, but there might not have been as many high highs as in some past years. For me, the, the movie that stood head and shoulders above everything else was Suspiria, where in previous years there might be two or three movies that I was that nuts for. Okay. So, But for me, I mean, my top three, Roma, The Favorite, and Suspiria, were, I guess there's a pretty good chasm between them and, and some of the other movies I picked. For me, this was the most films I have seen in a year – um, I think I ended the year uh, around 75 films. I mean, I'll, I'll, I can pull it up here. Um, 74 films is what I ended up seeing in 2018, either in the theater or re- were released in 2018, and I caught on VOD, you know, video on demand. Um, so some of the stronger films that, I, you know, overall, I had a lot of three-and-a-half-star mm-hmm. films, which I consider just a good, you know, on a five-star system, three and a half is a good film, you know. Um, Four-star would be a great film, you know, and five-star would be a masterpiece, you know. So, and then I ended up with one or two five-star films and two or three four-star films and then a whole slew of three-and-a-half-star films, probably close to 30 that way. Um, 
And no real, I mean, there were a couple super duds, but, you know, we don't really want to get into, no, you know, you know, nothing that direction. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's uh, 2018 will be a year where I think we as a podcast, we've made some good strides, you know. Um, we got our press credentials in 2018, and that really opened up a world of getting to see more films and not yeah. break our budget, which thank you very much to the Owens group. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, I got to go to a film festival in 2018, uh, two of them, actually. I went to Focal, the Film Festival of Columbus, and the Nightmares Film Festival, and may end up going to three or four, well, at least maybe three in 2019. That's the goal. So, um yeah, so that's I, I think we as a podcast and as critics, we kind of think we continue to move forward and uh, was a great year. And I'm looking forward to 2019. So 2019 will be the year of blockbusters if Disney has anything to say about it. Like what did we count? Like nine or ten? Ten, ten potential billion dollar films. Yeah. They won't all hit a billion because they're just too crowded. But yeah, massive. I, chance it would be success. fun. It would be maybe we'll do a short like a, a off off cast off podcast. Do a short um, what to look forward to in 2019 because there's some great films and Disney is going to roll in the money in 2019 with the opening of the new Star Wars theme park and all the stuff that they have going on. It's Their Disney be, Plus channel. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a great year. So maybe, you know, as we get into the doldrums of winter in January and February, we'll might do a one-off as to what to look forward to in 2019. So. I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Film Coterie. Adam, how is the best way for folks to reach out and connect with us? So thanks for listening. And if you go to our Facebook page, we'll, we will post our top tens. So you can see our list from Letterboxd. We'd like to hear what your top tens were. Go ahead and share your list with us and we'll, we'll compare. So on Facebook, we're just facebook.com backslash Film Coterie. And on Twitter and Instagram, we have the same handle on both. It is just at Film Coterie. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. We'll see you next time on another episode of The Film Coterie.